The Worker Learner Podcast is brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education. Bringing together the expertise of Griffith University's academics and research centres, our professional learning is designed to deliver creative solutions for the workplace of tomorrow. Whether you are looking for opportunities for yourself or your team, we have you covered. Uh, Hi, my name is Dinesh Palapana and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm a doctor, lawyer, researcher and a senior lecturer at Griffith University. Halfway through medical school, I was involved in a motor vehicle accident which severed my spinal cord. Since then, I have been an advocate for inclusion and was a founding member of Doctors with Disabilities Australia. In 2021, I was the Queensland Australian of the Year and I currently work in the emergency department of the Gold Coast University Hospital. But we're not talking about me today. I'm excited to be interviewing a senior colleague, Dr. Shahina Bruganza. Shahina is a senior emergency physician. She is passionate about non-technical skills in medicine, things like professionalism, communication, emotional awareness. She's also interested in well-being and resilience, and she is outspoken about sharing stories of vulnerability, imperfection, and courage. I'm interested in understanding how these ideas play out in the high-pressure environment of an emergency department, but also more broadly as we all go about our working lives. Welcome, Shahina. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Um, Thank you very much for making some time today. I know you have a lot going on, not just as an emergency physician, but a busy mum and everything else that you do. So I'm super grateful for your time. So... I've introduced you briefly, but uh, do you think you could tell us a bit about what you do and what motivates you in your job? Uh, So I guess uh, what I do uh, on uh, the work front uh, is, as you said, I am an emergency doctor. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to have been in this workplace, Gold Coast Health ED, for just over 20 years now. Uh, and my role in that time has evolved. I started here as a trainee. Uh, I completed my training, and then I've been a specialist since 2006. Uh, and in that time, I guess I've been really lucky to have witnessed the evolution of our emergency department, uh, not just you know in the ED, but in terms of the service that we provide to the community as well. Um, what motivates me at work? Uh, I think the core of everything that motivates me at work is just this idea of connection. Uh, And the more that I've delved into these issues around um, teamwork, communication, uh, that awareness that you talked about, uh, and even well-being, I think that the core ingredient for all of those things boils down to connection. And by that, I mean just that opportunity to connect with the patients, their families, their carers, whoever they've come into the ED with. Uh, And, you know, we're often seeing them at the most vulnerable moments of their lives. Uh, And the the privilege of being the person who's positioned to try and have some kind of impact upon them in that moment is huge. Uh, And, um, you know, I think it's something that I will... um, never get tired of. It's just that sense of of privilege. 
Uh, but then also not discounting the opportunity to connect with all of our team members. Uh, and, you know, certainly there's been an evolution of what comprises our team over 20 years and particularly over the last two years of the pandemic. Uh, but I think equally important to me uh, as the emergency physician on shift is that I look after my team, uh, including looking after myself, because the more I can role model looking after myself, including things like taking breaks and, uh, you know, hydrating myself, the more it gives my team permission to do that for themselves as well. Uh, and really doing what I can to make the team feel safe, uh, I think is the probably the major contribution I can make now as a senior person on shift that ultimately then ensures that we deliver excellent patient care. Yeah, and speaking of hydration and taking breaks, I know that uh, we have a secret stash of chocolate and supplies. We do have a secret stash. So I think this was born from, I once saw you sipping uh, coffee that had been procured for you from the local service station. <laughs> and you looked really miserable sipping this coffee. <laughs> and I thought even if you had a coffee bag, uh, that might be an upgrade. So uh, yeah. I made for you, uh, was it a Dinesh's survival snack pack? It is, yeah. Uh, and within four days, uh, there was a Shahina's survival snack pack, um, yeah. which has been uh, a lifesaver on many occasions for me, for sure. Well, um, thank you for being so kind. And the the coffee, the the packs that you made me are definitely better than the 7-Eleven machine coffees mm -hmm, that was mm -hmm. procured for me yeah in not, the thick not of the quite like a barista coffee but at least uh, halfway there but i think an important point in that is um i was actually reading a book recently that talked about reciprocity and it was saying that even from an evolutionary perspective and from uh happiness and wellness perspective for our species to thrive or for a team to thrive reciprocity is really important. Do you have any thoughts about that? Because you know, you gave me chocolate, I gave you chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Um, I won't be as learned as you about reciprocity having read the book, but I guess what struck me with what you just described is just this expression that uh, we matter. Uh, and you know, I guess the, the basic a sentiment in in my mind when I made you that survival pack was you know the message in that pack it's it's a it's a basket with a few protein balls and some other gluten free goodies in it uh, but I guess the message uh, is you matter to me and it matters to me that you're hydrated and uh, you've got uh, you know normal glucose levels on shift uh, and your reciprocation of that was well turns out like you matter to me too <laughs> and you know it's I think it's a win win and I think. Um, the pleasure then is not just in the receiving, but the pleasure is in the giving as well, because the giving becomes such a rewarding experience. And I think you've given me so much over the years and certainly made my career possible in many different ways. So, but um, I think through, through that reciprocity that we built, hopefully I add something to your life as well, but I think um, we've both thrived over the years as a result. Well, I was just thinking as you were making the introduction that, uh, you know, prior to 2016, uh, 2016, when you'd finished medical school, you know, uh, this idea of disability, inclusion, equity, it was on my radar. And I'd like to think that I was well-intentioned and that my heart, my heart was in a good position uh, with respect to all of those topics. But uh, I guess I'd never exposed myself or never... Um, 
had the opportunity to translate that into something tangible. Uh, and, you know, we're not there yet uh, in terms of the global issues or even in terms of, I, I hope, what we're going to do together. Uh, but, you know, it's just been an absolute gift, not just to the department, but to me personally, to have been a part of that journey, to have witnessed everything you've done, to, to see you go stellar with everything. Uh, and um, no small part of that is being exposed to your mum as well. I agree. Um, but I think the way in which we've done that um, helps us thrive, right? And our departments won, won awards for inclusion and we all have such a good place to work in this high-pressure environment. Uh, but speaking of that, though, um, from your perspective, what do you think are some of the typical pressures that we face as doctors in the emergency department? I think the typical pressures are, you know, ones that um, the, the audience could probably predict. Uh, it's those emotionally charged cases, particularly when we're dealing with sudden or unexpected loss. Uh, and, you know, we do experience vicarious trauma because the patient in front of us uh, is a person, a human, first and foremost, and they're usually someone's son or auntie or child. You know, uh, again, they have mattered to someone. Uh, and I think it's that very, very human experience of knowing that that you know that that body in front of you uh living or otherwise is someone to someone uh and knowing that the you know what happens to them is going to have a massive impact not only on them but on the concentric circles of people around them so i think that's something that we carry in a in an accumulating fashion over our entire careers it's also those clinically challenging cases, particularly when the stakes are high and there's a sense of urgency and you hope that you'll retrieve the correct knowledge and information and that you'll able to put that into practice, uh, that you will make the right decisions and that you will lead your team in a way that can be effective for the patient. Um, increasingly, uh, it's no secret that our health systems are under pressure. Uh, but, you know, it's env environmental things uh, can cause pressures, like even just noise and crowding. But as an emergency physician, it's like my job description is basically interruption <laughs> in one word. Uh, but it's also then, you know, looking after patients who uh, could have been cared for better in a different environment. Uh, but now they're here in front of us and we scramble to do the best we can to have some kind of meaningful impact upon them as well. Hmm. But I think um, no matter what we do, whether it's the emergency department, whether we work in an airline or a bank, real estate, whatever it might be, I think we still are in the business of human beings, right? No matter what our endeavor is, I suppose our impact is so direct onto a person. But I think um, I think it helps to remember that whatever our ventures are on this planet, there is going to be an impact on a person. Mm, mm. Um, when did you start to think that there were other emotional and professional dimensions to being an emergency physician like was there a light bulb moment or was it a series of events or did you just come to this realization gradually what what happened I guess in hindsight there was always a bit of a slow burn idea somewhere in the recesses of my mind that you know we're in the business of caring for people, then we need to tap into that aspect 
um, that, that emotional aspect as well as the cognitive aspect of how do we care for people. Uh, and then I guess as part of that, you become attuned to the fact that you're also, um, you have the same vulnerabilities as everyone else. You know, being a doctor, being a health professional doesn't actually afford you any immunity whatsoever uh, from all of those struggles. Uh, and then that slow burn uh, evolved very, very abruptly in the matter of probably 12 to 24 hours one day in October 2002. Uh, I was blindsided by what I you know, subsequently recognized was an episode of burnout. I was a second year trainee at the time. Uh, and it's still you know, a perplexing experience in terms of what actually happened to me at an emotional level. Uh, in, in, in summary, you know, within 24 hours, I went from being totally on top of things, totally in control of myself and my faculties, uh, to just becoming so emotionally labile, feeling very overwhelmed. Uh, and uh, I will never stop being grateful to our boss, David Green, for being the person who rescued me at that time. And the way he rescued me was primarily by saying those words, I've been there. Uh, but then also giving me some very practical uh, input as well, with helping me to recognize what that experience was, reassuring me that um, it was going to be okay. Uh, and then the final thing that he'd said to me that time that we met was, I think one day you'll do something important with this. And, you know, he may not even remember saying that. And uh, I don't know whether that was just meant to make me feel a bit better. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to think that, what is it now? It's 20 years later uh, that hopefully I have done something useful with it. I think that's a interesting thing because it takes a bit of vulnerability to accept that and to face that and now to talk about it. But um, I feel that because you and both our boss, our big boss, uh, I, I see as invincible people in a way. So I wonder if actually vulnerability is not really vulnerability in its standard sense of the word, but rather a sign of strength. I 100% agree. Uh, so vulnerability to me means being powerful. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, I could have told myself that even 20 years ago, and I probably wouldn't have really been able to understand that concept so i'm very mindful that for our reader for our listeners depending on where they're at in their phase of life and career uh, that might align or it might not uh, but at this point i can really appreciate the fact that not just accepting but embracing my own vulnerability has been probably the most empowering experience of my life to date. Mm. Uh, and what I mean by that is that I think if you can face your vulnerability head on, um, it kind of brings all those things that you might potentially feel ashamed about, it brings them out into the light. Uh, and, you know, th that shame diminishes in the light. It's like this, this darkness that you bring out into the light and then it just kind of dissipates. Uh, and in a way, I guess in, in a, how that applies to me at work is, you know, if I make a mistake or I mess up, whether it's with a, a clinical call or with, you know, an interpersonal interaction that might have not gone well, like I'm far more likely these days to just own it and then say I made a mistake. Uh, I'm sorry. How can I fix it? 
Um, and the thing is, I think once you out yourself with that, you know, any power that anyone else might have been holding over you, like it's gone, right? Because you've you've owned up, you've stepped up, you've said, I've made a mistake. There's There's nothing left for anyone else to potentially assault or attack you with. And then the second thing, the flow on effect of that is that, you know, being open with uh, stories of my own struggle and errors seems to have given permission or given invitation to others to share their stories with me. Uh, and certainly it's made me then feel like I've got something to contribute. Uh, it's made me feel like uh, I've hopefully created a safe space for them to share those stories. Uh, and if they then feel empowered in the same way that outing my struggles has been empowering, then that that's a huge win for everyone. So I totally agree with you. Vulnerability is arguably a superpower, I would say. Mm, I love that. But I think um, humility too, right? I, I just want to pick out something you mentioned then about error and being wrong. And for me, um, I guess drawing something out of vulnerability it's really important to start thinking differently about our our ideas of being wrong and what it means. Because I think being wrong is the way that we grow and we get better at things and we improve. And we've been seen wrong so many times in history, right? But I guess in medicine too, it's probably the same, like this idea of being wrong and being shamed about it and uh, particularly for the type of personalities that we attract into medicine um, but that that's a part of vulnerability too right owning up yeah absolutely uh, owning up to those errors and, and then you know modifying what you do next time uh, but then also feeling courageous enough to risk failure again and I know you talk about this you talk about you know uh, daring to be unreasonable uh, because unreasonability is where the boundaries of growth and innovation and creativity lie uh, and I guess those ideas go hand in hand that you know you would never willfully make an error uh, but you know I, I, the relatable experience to me is my number one um, terrifying thing to do in my job is to cannulate a child so to put a plastic drip which starts off with the needle in a small child. It takes years of my life every time I do it. Uh, and if I've missed a couple, my fear about doing the next is huge uh, and has at times felt insurmountable. Um, but again, embracing that vulnerability, that humility and that risk of failing again is, you know, I guess what makes me keep trying. Uh, and sure, I might fail again, but maybe it might go in and then I'll feel, you know, really good about myself. <laughs> but even modeling that, you know, embracing that risk of failing again is, is so important for our colleagues and our juniors um, because that, that's how we grow. Mm. What do you think? Like, we've, like you said, we've had so many challenges affecting the emergency department, the way we work, the increasing pressures all those kind of things. What, do you, what would you like to see happen in the future for emergency medicine, the profession, the working environment, whatever it might be? Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you think? What I'd most like to see uh, in, say, the next 10, 15 years, I guess I'm thinking about my career span, uh, I would love to see the rest of the health system work more effectively for the people in our community. Um, 
I know I'm saying this very much from the perspective as someone who works in an emergency department, but uh, it feels like there is nowhere else for people to go uh, in some circumstances. And I alluded to this earlier. Um, I would love to see our GP and primary health networks better supported and better enabled uh, to provide care for patients so that they didn't have to default to the emergency department. I would love to see our crisis you know, support centers and our mental health services, our community-based services, more accessible uh, and more effective for patients and their families so that uh, patients who are in mental health crisis didn't have to come to a busy emergency department, which is probably the antithesis of the environment that they need. Um, and I would love to see our systems set up in a way that, you know, for example, uh, a person who has a CT scan for something and there's an incidental finding, say, of a mass in the kidney. Uh, and I know from my experience that the poor patient and the poor GP would love to be able to refer that patient to a specialist, either in the public system or the private system. But the access is so difficult that they inevitably end up coming back to the emergency department. Mm. Um, and, you know, we've absolutely got something to contribute there because we can try and facilitate pathways, etc. But I would love if those kinds of patients had somewhere better to go than the emergency department. Primarily, it would be so much uh, more effective and more pleasant for them. Uh, but it also at the emergency department end would allow us to get our focus back on, uh, you know, looking after the critically unwell, looking after those urgent cases uh, and providing, um, I think, a, a better, safer environment for the patients, but for our teams as well. Mm. But um, we... Uh we do get busy, hey, and we, we get like, it's a, it's a chaotic environment. I was talking to one of our colleagues recently and they highlighted this study where they mentioned that, um, I think we get interrupted something like every six minutes on average. That sounds like a long interval to me, Dinesh. I, yeah, I know. I'd right? be pretty, pretty happy if I could go six minutes <laughs> without being shown, you know, an ECG, a heart trace or a blood result or something. The lineup of people waiting to talk to you, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I say, you know, nowhere else in my life am I as popular <laughs> as I am on shift in the emergency department. I mean, it's a pretty gratifying feeling, but it can also get overwhelming. I got to agree. Well, I line up to see you there as well. <laughs> I think... Um, I think he pointed out that during that shift, when he mentioned the study, he got interrupted something like 125 times or something, which which sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, again, there's other uh, studies that show that at a psychological level, um, those interruptions aren't very good for anyone. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to think that we can multitask, but apparently there's no such thing as multitasking. There's just kind of rapid focus shifting. But every time you refocus... It, it, there's a lag period as you kind of rev up and focus your thoughts again. Uh, but that's the nature of our work. Well, that's actually what I was going to ask you about. Like with this busyness and shifting focuses, I think uh, our environment is probably an extreme example of it. But how, how do you think we can manage that depending on the our different working environments and how do we best tackle that and how do we best go home feeling okay what do you think? I think there's uh, layers or facets to this. 
um, I, I guess if, if, if the question is how do we manage ourselves so that we can, on the one hand, deliver good service and on the other hand, work in a manner that's sustainable for us as well, um, my I guess call to action would be mostly focused on the leaders and the decision makers within our organizations, whether that's health systems or hospitality or you know aviation or whatever it might be. I think that the responsibility and the accountability lies primarily um, at the operational level, that we create environments in which our team and our people can do excellent work. Uh, and that's things like physical environment in terms of space, noise, interruptions, I guess. Um, but also access to opportunity for growth, access to rest periods and time off, um, fair rostering, uh, fairness in other facets of your work. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's difficult for the individual, I think, to influence those uh, those aspects of your job. And mm. I think it, it boils down to the people that are in charge of operations to do everything that they can to create that positive working environment. But then the next layer is about teams as well. Uh, and again, um, hopefully you would agree that in our emergency departments across Gold Coast and Rabina, like our teams are not just our source of pride, but uh, actually our survival uh, strategy. Um, and, uh, you know, it's said that our teams are the buffers uh, when there are system deficits uh, and, and they buffer us against those system deficits. And I guess whoever the client might be other, at the other end would be that a patient uh, or someone who's expecting some kind of service delivery. I'd go a step further and say that our teams are also the buffer between the system deficits and the pressures that we experience and our individual sense of well-being. Uh, because, you know, there's countless times over the last 25 years of my career where I felt either overwhelmed at a personal level or I felt, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be able to put together what it is that this person in front of us needs from us today. And then somehow, magically, almost miraculously at times, the team just steps up and they, they're resourceful, they're capable, they bend over backwards, like the, the generosity and the goodwill of the people we work with is humbling. Uh, and the team just gets us through and the team gets the patient through. And I think at individual level, I think we, uh, there's a lot that we can't control, but one of the big things we can control is how we show up every day. And, you know, we have a choice uh, every time we walk through the doors of our workplace with which facet of the diamond that is us, <laughs> we are going to present to everyone else. Uh, and, you know, there's times when I felt I've come into work and it's like there's a thundercloud hanging over my head and my heart for whatever reason. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm tired or maybe I've had an argument with someone on my way in or maybe the last time I was at work something really unpleasant happened uh, and it really feels, you know, I walk through the doors and I feel like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> 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 but my... I guess as I'm walking to the entrance of the ED, that's my trigger for how are you going to show up today? Because you can absolutely carry this into your work and be like this dark cloud that darkens everyone's day. <laughs> or you can just choose to be piglet, uh, choose to be the sunshine. And sometimes I've had to fake it. Um, but the the paradox, the secret is that you know, I've walked into work, felt like a thundercloud. I'll see someone I know and 
almost in a betrayal of my in, inner emotional state, I'll call out, hey, good morning, Gary, one of our wardies, and I'll sound so much chirpier than I feel. <laughs> then Gary will say to me, hey, good morning, Shahina, it's nice to see you. And I'll do that a few times. And suddenly, I'm not feeling like a thundercloud anymore. Uh, so not only, um, not only I think is it a, a benefit to others for me to separate how I feel from how I behave, but like, uh, you know, the, the beautiful uh, consequence is that they uh, respond to me in, in what, you know, what they perceive of me, like a mirror of my pretend emotions. And eventually it kind of fuels me as well and kind of convinces me, actually, maybe I don't feel like a thundercloud today. Maybe I am the sunshine today. Uh, and, you know, that, that emotions are so contagious. And we, I think my message is we make an active choice every time we show up with uh, how, we're going to, how we're going to be that day. Mm. Well, I've never seen you turn up as Eeyore. So you, uh, whatever it is, you hide it well. And it's, I think you're Piglet most of the time. I think I am. I, yeah. I think I'm, I genuinely am Piglet most of the time. But, you know, I have my Eeyore moments. But at age 48, I'd like to think that I know, I know how to put Eeyore in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've watched Winnie the Pooh enough to uh, make comment. But I, I probably feel like Tigger most of the time. That's good too. <laughs> Um, do you think, um, so going from your experiences and I mean, 20 years as an emergency physician, you've been through burnout, you, in my eyes, uh, I've always seen you as this, despite all these things we talk about vulnerability and everything, um, and maybe the traditional sort of meanings that people might attach to it, you're actually quite formidable. And I think, um. You're one of the most impressive people I know. And from, from all that experience and from everything you've gathered as a person, if you could give some advice uh, to people outside of medicine, whatever industry or area of endeavor that they might be, would you have any advice about burnout and fatigue, things that you might pick out and things that you think are the most important? I think what I would say is, um, and this is going to sound like we need to bring out the incense and the and the candles now, <laughs> but I think what I would say is tap into heart, um, mm. because you know anyone can be technically proficient at mm. their jobs. Um, generally speaking, we can train people and we can pay people uh, to do the technical aspects of their job brilliantly. Um, but I think that for organizations, for our teams, and then for ourselves that as individuals, our point of difference, I think, is what comes from heart. It's actually the thing that you can't pay people to deliver. Uh, and again, at all of those levels, I would um, encourage us to think about how do we bring uh, how, do, how do we enable people to bring their heart into work and how do we um, make them feel like there is a pathway here for them to bring joy, to bring meaning and to bring purpose? Uh, 
and and we and how do we do that by fueling them with exactly those things? So I, I think in summary, it was like you know we can pay people for their brains, um, but let's think about how it is that we can bring our hearts into not just our workplace but probably every facet of our lives. And I think that's the secret sauce, isn't it? The teams and the hearts, teams and hearts. Yeah, uh, totally. Sheena, I um, think the world of you and I think you have so much to give to the world. And I think outside of medicine, within medicine, wherever uh, people are working, wherever these human endeavors are, I think there's so much to learn from you. So thank you for brightening up my world and thank you for brightening up everyone else's world too. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being in my life uh, and thanks for having me today. The Worker Learner Podcast was brought to you by the Professional Learning Hub, Griffith University's platform for executive and professional education. 